Thank you so much for tuning in to the Kill Your God podcast. Kill your gods, kill your god. We are we're monotheistic this week. Hey, how you doing? My name is Jesse Dram, comedian, uh, unemployed person, kind of employed person. We don't need to get back into this shit. This is my job, and that it doesn't pay, and I hate it. Now I'm having a good time. I kind of love Dune. I, I hope you guys are appreciative of uh, having friends that are readers, because my friends are not readers. I need to stumble like a babe in the woods amongst a bunch of illiterate fucks trying to figure out good things to read. And here I am, you know, 34 years old, turning 35 in October, clearly in the twilight of my life. And I am discovering incredible books that everybody else read when they were teenagers. But yeah, Dune is the shit. Our guest this week, they're all about it too. We're talking to the boys from the Reading Dune podcast. One of them, big fan of Dune. The other one, never read it. So he did what all good friends should do. He sent him a copy in the mail and said, you're reading this and guess what? We're doing a podcast. That is how friendships and literature is made. So be sure to check that out. Uh, we'll be reading, the. Uh, this will be book 1B. This week, that means if you are reading the uh, recent, I think, let's see what this pressing is. If you're reading the pressing with Ace Books, with the cover design and illustration by Jim Tierney, with his orange and black, and there's a guy walking through dunes, and it's probably, it's Leto, or it's Paul, I, 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 I don't know. But in this one, that is uh, pages 98 to, I believe, one. I, I, I don't know. It's up there. I'm sure I say it in this. But yeah, check it out. I've already finished all of book one, and uh, I'm stoked to talk about it with you guys. So keep tuning in every Tuesday. Yeah, we used to drop these on Monday, but now they're Tuesday. Doonesday, to coin a term. Nobody else has said Doonesday, have they? Don't tell them I stole Kill Your Gods podcast, everybody. I hope you check it out. You can check me out September 24th. God damn, that's getting close, and I don't even have a flyer yet. September 24th, I'll be at the Flying Fish Brewery in Somerdale, New Jersey. 
I have other shows. I don't know where they are right now. Find me on Facebook. Find me on Instagram. Find me on Twitter. I think I have an old parlor account that's up, which is just me trolling the trolls at Jesse Dram. J-E-S-S-E-D-R-A-H-A-M. Uh, listen to Reading Dune because they're doing it more in-depth than I am, but it's very cool. And these, these are really good guys. We had a good time. So, uh, enjoy the, the dulcet tunes of uh, that song I picked out. Bye. Go for it. All right, Kill Your Gods podcast. We are back. Week two, book one, part two. There's too many parts in this book. Kill Your Gods podcast. We're talking about Dune. I am Jesse Dram. I am your host for Kill Your Gods. I'm pretty sure I already recorded an intro before this. This is also a terrible start. My guest this week uh, from the Reading Dune podcast, Evan and Caleb. What the fuck is up, guys? Not much. Woo! What's up? Where are you guys anyway? I'm a little curious. Uh, I am in Georgia, North Georgia, and okay. Caleb is currently in Colorado, question mark. Yeah. Yep. Still, still Colorado. All right. Multiple time zones and climates. I like it. I like getting into it. Uh, before we get started on anything, tell us uh, anywhere, anything you need to promote, anywhere we could find you online. Uh, yeah. So we have a podcast called Reading Dune, which can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, we also have it on YouTube. So we, we like to record live, go straight to YouTube and then so we can interact with our community directly. And they have, because again, we're like not novices at this. I've read the book four, five, six, seven, a couple of times. And, but there are a lot more people that are a lot smarter and nerdier than I am. And I need all the help I can get when talking about such a complex topic like Dune. So it's nice to interact directly with the people who are also reading Dune with us. Mm -hmm. So yeah, YouTube, podcasts, Twitter, reading Dune. That's it. All right. So how did you, uh, as such a fan of Dune, how, how did you rope your friend Evan into this? All right. Well, yeah. Because, See, because I, is, I believe the I, premise is that Evan has not read the book before. I, I had right. not read the book. Yeah. Mm. Yes. I knew that Evan was a giant Lord of the Rings fan, like yeah. obsessive, like telling me about the, Sil the Silmarillion at work. And <laughs> I'd, and I had read the books when I was 12 and I was like, okay, I kind of understand, but he's like talking to me in Elvish and I don't quite get it. <laughs> and so I knew that he'd be a perfect candidate to go through something like Dune. And I knew the movie was coming out soon. And I just read Lord of the Rings again with a similar type podcast that went chapter by chapter. Hmm. And I was looking on the internet and the Dune fandom is, is at that point, really, it was small. It, hmm. it's, uh, no one quite knew what it was yet and i knew the movie was coming out and this would be a perfect time and so i was like evan we should do this thing i think i pitched it like three or four times to him he did like, we should we should do this thing and then finally i just amazoned him the book directly and i said we're doing this and we're not and if we do it we have to do all 48 chapters we can't just do three and call it a day we have to do all of them one chapter a week. Wow. So it was already like a year commitment at that point when I just Amazoned him the book and he said, yes. And we yeah. just kind of went for it. That's almost like the obligation of the Chris knife. Like once you send somebody a book, <laughs> guess what, buddy? Your ass is mine for the next 50 or so weeks. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I, I mean, when I got, when I opened the, 
the package and I saw the book, I was like, okay, we're doing this. Like now I have the book in my hands. I'm like, okay, I'm down. Let's do it. That's awesome. And so, and so Evan's obligation was easy, right? He just had to read the chapter right before we recorded and then to talk about it. So the, the barrier to entry for Evan was super small, which was nice. And then I did most of the legwork on that end. Uh, so yeah, if, if, hint, if you're going to rope your friends into doing things with you, make sure they don't have to do a lot. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Now, so doing this, this podcast started out as uh, originally, this was just a six month project of forcing myself to finally read Infinite Jest. Okay. And, uh. Yeah. And inviting on people. I, every time I tried, I hated the fucking thing. But every time I tried, people were like, no, it's so good. It's like, all right, you come on here. We're going to read this together. You tell me what's good about this. <laughs> and uh, I, I can't say it worked, but I, I, I had a whole new fascination for like diving into a fandom that is not my own. And really right. just mm. like, and I found out that even if you're talking shit on something, we won't be talking shit on Dune. I don't know enough about it. But uh, even if you're talking shit on something, if you're talking shit on something at the like most minute level, people who love it at the most minute level will enjoy listening along. But I really I mean, had, that book was so dense. I think we only did like 30 pages at a time. Uh, Dune is still pretty dense, but like nowhere near that fucking nonsense. If if Dune were infinite jest, like Paul would have disappeared for 150 pages already. So. <laughs> oh, so, well, you guys that's the thing about Dune is that like a lot of people pick it up and they hear it's epic, right? It's the quote unquote Lord of the Rings of science fiction. Mm -hmm. And so you go, okay, cool and you start it and you get three chapters in and you're like what the fuck is happening yes. i am so confused there's old ladies there's boxes and there's something about fear and i have no idea what's happening <laughs> and people just bounce right then and there they just right. they just don't do it and i was like okay this can be the premise for our podcast reading dune is that when you get stuck you can come to us and we'll walk you through it so you can continue on this journey because once you're in like a hundred and some pages in and all of a sudden, you see your first sandworm, you're you're hooked, and you just right. go. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's more or less where I am. I'm I'm liking the style of like he's just throwing all this fucking verbiage at you, and you're gonna sink or swim. It's not like which I I guess like uh, if I think like you know sci-fi fantasy, like film wise, obviously Star Wars is gonna come right to the front of your head where they're also throwing a lot of jibber jabber at you, you know, Jedi, Metachlorians, the force, uh, Jabba the Hutt, what have you. But you would at least <laughs> have the physical representation. Whereas here, like I actually had to ask the last guest, like, so like, are the Harkonnens like aliens? Like, do they have tentacles and shit? She says, nah, it's all people. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 I can right. talk with that. And the other thing about Dune, like in the book, which is, this is a reason I'm really excited for the movie. The book kind of shows the the in-between parts of what you would expect from a regular story. Mm -hmm. It's showing these like behind the scenes moments where people are discussing, you know, the the magnitude of the things that are happening without actually showing the things that are happening all of the time. Right. So it's it's a really interesting and it adds to that whole like what is happening in this book right now because you're expecting like shootouts and 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 fights and all that kind of stuff which happens but mm -hmm. it's all 
behind the scenes kind of stuff that you're reading. Like it's a, it's a shame that we're going to be ending this uh, week's episode with this scene, but like so far the tensest scene I've read so far in the book is in this sci-fi masterpiece with like worms and drugs and shit. And so far the tensest thing I've read has been a dinner scene with yeah, people a like dinner party. Yes. talking smack. Yes. Dude, yeah, and that's like the culmination of all the like random politics jibber jabber that was happening up until that point. You see it like in action, like these awful rich people being awful to each other. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so tense. <laughs> it's awesome. I love the dinner scene. I enjoy it quite a bit. Okay, so uh, I guess let's get into the summary. And yeah, our, our layout on this is pretty much anytime anybody, I have some questions here. Anytime anybody has a comment, kick in, let it know. Let it be known. Sweet. All right. So. Wait, wait, before we, before we start, before we start, this is, this, is, uh, this is just Dune nerddom. What do you think about the quotes at the beginning of each chapter? Because there are no chapters, not like chapter one, two, three, four. It's just random quote by Princess Irulan and then, does it matter? Is it fixed? Is it part of what's happening? What do you think at this point in the book about I, what those mean? I assumed we are reading portions of a Bible that is to be written about the events as we are watching them happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, this is the ancient histories now looking back on what's some something in there is going to tell you about what the chapter is happening. Okay, yeah. right. Yeah, definitely looking forward to I. Uh, I uh, immediately, what, before we did this, we were doing something of a very different uh, difficulty. We did the very first Harry Potter book. And I realized in any like fantasy book, I really get tied up in like, what is the religion of these people? Like what's happening? Mm. And this, we're obviously digging into that, but Harry Potter, I was just like, so they're celebrating Christmas. Jesus was a wizard. Like, is that, <laughs> like, what reason would they have to be celebrating Christmas in a world where magic is real? Like, I need to know all this. Right. Harry Potter will throw you off because it's like, they have all the same religions. Yeah. I mean, you know? exactly. at, you, uh, at least I didn't celebrate Thanksgiving because that's weird because they're British and we're American. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were celebrating getting rid of us. <laughs> okay so the uh, hold on my fucking neighbor's playing with his kid i'm gonna shut the window oh. no good parenting allowed on this podcast okay <laughs> so the Mwadib family commentaries suggests that duke leto leto or leto we've been saying leto this question. whole time i'm but straight the movie up picturing just said jared leto but i'm thinking leto I mean, yeah, the movie just said Leto, which is a bummer because I mean, I'm mispronouncing the names all wrong. Yeah, if you want to hear but, some know, great yeah. mispronunciations of all the names, go listen to the Reading Dune podcast. We got all of them. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> all yeah. of them. That, that must be great just for before they were making like uh, big film versions of like sci-fi. Like, you know, there had to be one, had to be one person like before the, the, uh, 1970 animated version of the Lord of the Rings, just like I was saying, Frodo this whole time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, apparently, people like so many people were saying Hermione when they were reading Harry Potter that J.K. Rowling oh, had to write in a, dis- <laughs> a like phonetic pronunciation of how to say Hermione, Hermione. to one of the books. <laughs> okay, uh, so Duke Leto did not walk naively into danger on Arrakis. 
Rather, it is likely he lived with danger all his life and misjudged the intensity of this situation, or alternatively, that he sacrificed himself for his son Paul's prosperity. So that's more or less the hint there. Everything's being talked about, you know, being talked about in the past. Toward letters, uh, yeah, coming. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a foreshadowing that uh, even from chapter one that Dad's not going to survive this. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> the uh, the the old woman flat out says that. Um, so here. We're, we're just coming out of, we end of the last episode of the Hunter Seeker came mm. after Paul, which oh. seems, might be, might be suggested like, eh, this was more a warning, like he was supposed to see this one coming. I don't know. Seems like he scooted out of that a little too easy. I mean, I think this, yeah, you may have a point there because the Hunter Seeker, this podcast may be very long, just going to forewarn you, because <laughs> I could talk forever about Dune. Um, because, yeah, this is the moment where you see this whole section we're going through, uh, Leto kind of like goes over the edge. He knew, he knew this was a bad idea to start with. Mm -hmm. He knew he shouldn't have done this, but he didn't feel like he had a choice. And now they're attacking the one thing he cares about more than, the, than anything else in the world. Yeah, he's trying to take the life of his son. It. Yeah, now, and it's, got, it's stuck in his head. And it's this whole new thing. You start to see him just slowly disintegrate as a mm -hmm. human being. Shame. Okay. Uh, so... He knows that uh, gaining the Freemen as allies is crucial to evading Harkonnen attacks. Throughout his reflections, he repeats to himself, they've tried to take the life of my son. Mm. Leto meets a number of his men in his temporary ducal command post in the tower. He tasks Halleck again. I don't care what the actual pronunciations are these stop writing me people. <laughs> Halleck with persuading <laughs> some of the 800 spice hunters who are about to leave Arrakis to remain and work for House Atreides. Out of sight of his men, Leto can relax slightly, but he is again plagued by the thought that they have tried to take the life of my tried son. To take the life of my son. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be a bummer. He took a you know a, a big job. He moved for it, and they're coming after his kid now. He's basically been hired to be like a cartel guy, only far more legitimate. He's working for an emperor in there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's if uh, yeah, it's like if he got all of the Middle East as as. Uh, to govern and everyone's going to bounce because conditions are so bad, but everyone says we need the oil still. So yeah, keep the oil running. So Leto here is a bit of like a Pablo Escobar, just like running a narco state. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. All right. Uh, next inscription, uh, an inscription that Muadib repeated throughout his life. Oh, you who know what we suffer here. Do not forget us in your prayers. Yeah, hmm. here, here's something I have a confusion. They mentioned the Orange Catholic Bible a few yes. times. Is that mm -hmm. like the legit Catholic? Part of my confusion of that is my only uh, connotation of orange and Catholic is um, the the battles in Northern Ireland where orange actually represents not the Catholics, but the Protestants. So I don't know if that's like supposed to be some <laughs> union. They may. I mean, yeah. Point. They could, that's, that's an interesting point. Uh, Frank Herbert could definitely be alluding to some sort of all unifying thing. Because that's what, yeah. technically, when, when the Orange Catholic Bible was created, they, all the major religions like went on a big retreat. And they like probably did a bunch of drugs. And they like, oh, actually, we're all the same. Ooh, so they see, took a bunch, of, bunch that, of passages and put them all together. Right. And then the funny thing is, is that in the in the Duneverse, the Dune universe, they tried to pitch it to everybody and everybody went, that's awesome, and then rejected it. So like <laughs> the Orange Catholic Bible is this thing that only poets and 
like weird people kind of work through and the Bene Gesserit use as they need it to, but it's everything. Okay. Right. So and the word Catholic there isn't talking about like the, the Catholic church. Mm. It's like that word in itself means all embraced, all embracing or like including a wide variety of things. So it's like, yeah, it's a Catholic Bible because it includes like gotcha. the Christian Bible and the Quran and all sorts of different religious books, all in one, all in okay. one book. I, I like that idea of like, see this lit? no, I was gonna say, I like that idea yeah, of like an amalgamated religion. Like everybody has to kind of get like, I think we could just solve the Middle East if we just like sent Israel and Palestine to just like, just, just go to Bush Gardens for a weekend, work it out. <laughs> Go on a log flume. Out, Go on a log flume and tell me you're still angry after. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh huh. Oh, and they do that. The or so you have the so they have the Orange Catholic religion. You have the Bene Gesserit manipulations of religions mm -hmm. to do whatever they want. Right. And then on the back end, you're going to have the Fremen, which are Zen Sunni, which is an amalgamation of the of Sunni Islam and Zen Buddhism. That's like kind of merged together wow. and that's what uh the bene Gesserit have used to get this is probably spoilers at this point but i don't really care <laughs> princess Irulan spoils all the time that that is what muhadib or the mahdi or the the person the messiah figure is going to come out of that's what okay. the fremen have all right use that <laughs> so see that, that's the thing you can say they're spoilers but i still have so little context for what's happening it doesn't doesn't mean anything for the most part Although right, I'm sure right. any, if anybody's listening to this, they either will be in the same position as me or they will know the entire context that I do not. Yeah. So Paul is invited to his father's staff meeting. The Duke is displeased that his mentat Hawat failed to discover the assassination plot when assessing the palace. Paul defends him and it's a whole thing. I, I do like that. He's like, it's not his fault. Like besides, you know, he's going to, he feels so guilty right now. And sure enough, as soon as we see him, he's like, I would like to resign and like, you know, Hari Kari myself. He's like, sit down, you're fine. No. <laughs> yeah, calm down. Right. You missed one. It's okay. Yeah. Everybody misses one. No harm, no foul. They tried to kill my son, but uh, Leto and his men. We're still good. Exactly. <laughs> uh they use the meeting to share information and make plans to avoid imminent Harkonnen attacks. They also plan to counter the Harkonnen's moves by raiding Harkonnen's spice reserves stored on another planet. It does blow my mind that this is like the only drug in town. It's not like cocaine versus heroin versus opium versus pill smuggling. It's spice, spice, and more spice. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there are other drugs, like consumable drugs. Spice mm -hmm. just happens to be uh a drug and also a fuel and also some mm. kind of like deep trance meditation superpower thing like it has so many different uses and it's less like uh cocaine and weed and heroin and those kind of drugs and more like oil right like it mm. operates a lot like oil does on earth so it's yeah. like because oil is your uh, the gas you put in the in your car, the asphalt that your car is driving on. It's the plastic that uh, your phone case is made out of. It's like all over the place, right? Okay. So that is like the big importance of spice, and the mm -hmm. drug aspect of it is just one of its many like different properties. 
Right. It would be like if computer chips also got you high. They're just like so ubiquitous and important right. to everything else. And it, yeah, and if you took enough of it, you could live to be 300 to 500 years old. But once <laughs> you started taking it, you could never not take it ever again. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I can see why they're in the business, yeah. repeat customers. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and the best thing is that your computer chips is that all the heads of government need it in order to keep running their thing. So ev everyone is just dependent, like drug dependent on this. Nice. Okay. Uh, Hawat shares what he's learned about Freeman culture. They are likely led by an individual named Liet, although Hawat cannot be certain whether this is a real person or a god that is already worshipped by the Freemans. Uh, Duke Leto remains adamant that House Atreides must recruit the Freeman as allies who will support them against the Harkonnen and Imperial attacks. Freeman are responding positively to the Atreides' extension of friendship and have shared gifts such as still suits and maps with the Duke's men. So standard, I mean, while well, we're getting out of Afghanistan right now, didn't go too great then, but this is sort of a little <laughs> bit what you heard about how they had to get, you know, chummied up to the local chieftain. Sometimes right. it would be as simple as like, you know, here's some McDonald's. I think mm -hmm. it's halal. I don't know. I couldn't check that. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. And well, you have to also understand too, though, like the Harkonnens were an oppressive rulers. They hunted the Fremen for sport. Mm -hmm. So the new people come in and it's like, oh, you're not hunting us. You want to be friends? Cool. Here's a mask. Have a good time. It's yeah. like, oh, here's some nice still suits. You could have five. Go ahead. Odds <laughs> are you'll probably be dead anyway, and we'll take your still suit back. No problem. Right. Um, but it, 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 in the in meantime, this... pals. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> right. You're not going to kill us? Sounds great. Here you go. Uh, House Atreides will also try to win the support of spice smugglers on Arrakis. Local freemen and smuggler support would benefit Leto's economic profits, as well as boosting his protective forces. The great houses who have previously vocalized their support of Duke Leto are now refusing to be involved in the conflict between Atreides and Harkonnen. The Duke acknowledges that that is typical behavior for the great houses to remain aloof until a winner is evident, which yep. you know, makes total sense. Why, why, why pick sides when you can... Uh, God, you know what's fucked up? I only watched, haven't read it yet. I only watched Game of Thrones for the first time in the last year. Nice. And I think I would be loving this so much more if I have not had like fantasy politics just beaten into my head <laughs> every week for eight seasons. Yeah. It, it's actually pretty funny because the Game of Thrones official Twitter account just like retweeted like, go watch Dune on HBO. And I just thought it was really funny. Everybody's like, wow, okay, yeah. Game of Thrones, but in space, cool. Uh, how how long until they try to eventually it will happen where Disney just owns like everything but VH1 and all of entertainment and they'll try to pull <laughs> off an MCU of like we're putting guess what Frodo's a Jedi he's going to Arrakis like, <laughs> you can't tell me it's With not Bran. coming someday <laughs> exactly um, Duke Leto considers the smuggler support similarly beneficial for adding military strength to House Atreides. The fickleness of the Great Houses symbolizes the delicate political collaboration that hangs between the Pedicia Emperor, the Landsrad, the Guild, and the Imperium at large. This is what I meant. Mm. I don't think we've had much interaction with any of these people so far, but, you know, it's just going to meant. Did we meet the Emperor for a little bit? Was he in that first meeting with, like, who's going to betray them? No. Okay. He's not been in anything. His only thing he's going to be is later on in the passage we go through, Princess Irulan's going to talk about her relationship with 
their father and how the emperor liked Duke Leto, but yes. still had to betray him regardless. Right. That's the only interaction we get. Uh, numerous issues are raised regarding spice production, currently stalled due to Harkonnens leaving the Atreides with largely inoperable equipment. Sandworms mm. are also a threat to successfully harvesting spice from the desert as they can destroy the mining machinery in one hit. The giant worms seem immune to the protective shields that House Atreides normally rely on. This is one of my favorite little details so far because it keeps coming up like, oh, well, what about these shields that we use? Like, oh, not only do they not work, the sandworms are almost like indignant. If they sense those shields, they're coming directly to kill whoever is wielding it. Yep. Oh, yeah. They're just like, ooh, give me some of that. I want some shield. I'm coming right for it. Yeah, it does sound, it sounds like, I know there's like some video games where it's like, you know, this weapon is particularly good on this boss. This weapon's not so great. If you use this one, it is immortal and it's going to kill you every yeah. single time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it adds to the whole sense that um, Frank Herbert is putting into the book the whole time is like, Arrakis is different. You have to think differently to survive on Arrakis. Right. And like, having that juxtaposition of like, this is the way we live our life now. And this is how it would be on Arrakis and like, which one's better, you know, figure it out for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, that That's a good point because at this point in time, the Duke is literally trying to do things the same old way. So it's, you can tell he's just, again, setting himself up for failure. He talks about having air power on Caladan and water power. And he needs to have desert power but he doesn't know what that means. He just says it a lot. Right. Right. Like I, I actually almost thought when I first saw that, it almost reminds me a little bit of a, I'm, I'm a fan of history, particularly of the 20th century. And one of the interesting things about that is with the beginning of world war one, suddenly like there's a whole third dimension to war where all of a sudden like, Oh wait, we have planes and shit now. How, how are we going to do that? Like, so suddenly there's just right. an entire, and in this case, you have somebody who is very used to traveling about, you know, air and sea, but now he has a whole fucking desert to make use of. Right. And, and, and he, Harkonnen did it one way. Maybe he can do it that way. He has no idea how to actually do this mm. while they're also trying to kill his son and take him out. They tried to take my son's life. <laughs> a little, he's, trying, he's a little stressed. Yeah. yeah. He's going through some stuff here. Uh, <laughs> So Leto asks Hawat to find a solution to the shield issue. The group realized they can make spice profits more quickly if they cut costs by paying their workers less fairly. The Duke refuses to do so as he invested in the long-term prosperity of Arrakis. He again reiterates the importance of strong relationships with the Freeman, describing them as key to harnessing the desert power of Arrakis compared to the sea and air power the Atreides ruled with on Catalan. So yeah, uh, actually I can do the next paragraph too because it relates. He also knows that he must pay fair wages because he needs to persuade the Freeman to follow his leadership. The Freeman's knowledge of surviving the Arakeen desert environments is crucial for the Atreides' military and economic successes. So yeah, uh, man, ripped from today's headlines, you know, labor shortages, not pay, uh, fair pay. Oh, yeah, all written in 1965. Oh, right. I I love prescient shit like that. Although, well, actually, it just doesn't show that it's prescient. It just shows the working man has always been getting fucked in one way or another. But <laughs> I yeah. mean, Frank Herbert did, did he did work for a, a he was a speechwriter for a Republican senator, so it makes sense. Mm. That's right. Yeah, it's, I read. I think he was like a distant relative of uh, Joseph McCarthy, although he was yes. not a fan of his. But yeah, and wait, correct me if I'm wrong. Framens are the ones with the blue eyes, correct? 
Yes. Blue eyes, blue collar. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Making sense. Good, good connection. Uh, meeting also addresses the likelihood of Emperor Shaddam IV supporting House Harkonnen's attack on the Atreides by disguising his feared Imperial Sardaukar soldiers in Harkonnen colors. This is going to come up like, you know, how do we know who is who? Leto stipulates that they need to acquire fighting Freeman battalions to oppose them. He is pleased mm. that Gurney Halleck has almost... Per- yeah, has persuaded almost 300 of the departing spice owners to stay and work for House Atreides. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Just so many fucking notes here. By the way, you can see this timer's running down because, again, I uh, do not pay for Zoom. When that happens, we'll just log right back in and everything will be fine. Yeah, cool. skip, skip, skip to when Duncan Idaho and Stilgar show up. It's my very Duncan Idaho joins the meeting and reports on a clash with Harkonnen soldiers disguised as local freemen. Freeman sent a man to warn Duke about this duplicity, but the messenger was killed by Harkonnens. Idaho describes a strange weapon that Freeman was carrying, a knife that is milky white and glowing with a light of like, of its own like. He moves to show the knife to the room, but a Freeman leader named Stilgar calls out commandingly from the doorway and presents the weapon, a Chris knife, from being displayed. Paul immediately notices the power that radiates from Stilgar. He explains his actions from a Freeman belief that those who view a Chris knife may never leave Arrakis, which mm. we're finding out there's a lot of caveats to this stupid knife. Like, <laughs> it's it yes. unsheathed, it needs to taste blood. Nobody can look at it. If you sheath it on a Wednesday, you have three years bad luck. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, all, it's like a it's like a rosary or something. There's just a bunch of superstition that goes on about mm-hmm. how to use it. And it also kills people. Like is, a rosary. Yep, exactly. You, uh huh. Once you once you kill one person with a rosary, you can't stop. All right, it's blood. It's bloodlust. Shall never be quenched. The Virgin Mary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Duke agrees to comply with this Freeman belief, budding Idaho to leave the weapon sheath. So we're seeing a lot of this. We're going to see they're observing a lot of traditions, but very soon they won't be some obviously kind of shitty traditions. Um, well, yeah, at, and at this point in time, and then. Stuff happens, and then Stilgar spits on the table. I love it. Which, yeah, everyone freaks out. Like, what? What are you doing? Like, why would you do that? And then I don't remember who this was. Is it Paul or somebody else? Was like, no, it's cool because it was Duncan. That's a sign of respect. Yeah, Duncan mm-hmm. was like, it's yeah, yeah, it's good, it's good, it's good. He's he's showing he respects you by doing this. And again, it's what Evan talked about. That's a uh, stranger thinking. They have to. They don't quite understand how this whole planet works. Right. It see, I mean, obviously, you know, things that are important are going to change, but it seems like a very basic sacrifice, like the same way you would get rid of something necessary. Uh, you know, I mean, hey, it's like you open a 40 ounce. You got to pour one out for your homies first. Well, this is precious <laughs> body moisture. You got to waste a little bit of it just to show like you mean something to me if I'm going to waste this. Mm. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Stoger proposes that Idaho becomes a member of his community and Leto agrees to let him do that. So he'll basically, so this is a, a great alliance working here. He's going to be working both sides. Yeah. Duke's final act at the meeting is to order Dr. Kynes found, he is the Imperial planetologist, so that he can lead the Atreides to the abandoned Imperial bases. Duke's men advise against the dangerous move, but Leto says, fuck you, we'll do it anyway. Meeting is disbanded <laughs> with Paul uh, concerned that his father's leadership is unsteady. And he remembers the Reverend Mother's prediction that uh, Leto would be killed when he moved to Arrakis. So real quick before Zoom fucks us, uh, can you guys think of any weird prophecy that has ever occurred in your life? 
weird prophecy. Evan, you want to go first? Wow. That's a big question. I know. I should have mentioned it beforehand. Uh, I, I, can, I can give one. My grandmother was uh, dying of lung cancer, and she just kept saying, like, you need to take care of your dad when I'm gone. You need to take care of your dad when I'm gone. Well, she died, and I fucked off and moved to the other side of the country, and my dad fucking died six weeks later. Whoa. Whoa. Now that that's, that's some that is some Catholic spookiness right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have I have one. I had um, I was hanging out with a friend, and she looked at me randomly uh, one day and said, "Like, uh, I think you're going to go to Ukraine, and you're going to hang out. You're going to be with a bald guy and a blonde girl when you're there." And about about a year later, through random circumstances, I was in Ukraine, and the guy I was with had like bald head and a rat tail and because and then the other girl was blonde that was next to you and i just freaked out in the moment i was like wait i remember this and this is weird that's very and, crazy is your friend and, a wizard he a was witch? just no it was no it was just uh it was one of those moments where you just like it stuck in your memory like this is gonna be weird and then you forget about it until mm. you're in that moment and like the deja vu happens you're like wait yeah. i've been here i've done this what's happening and then you clicks and you're what's like wait maybe the universe is aligning in some weird uh -huh. way because i go, wouldn't have yeah did you go on to weird. do anything important with those people like what I, i'm very curious now or was this just one random no, no it, it was yeah no i was with them for the month when i was traveling abroad um because they were like my host family but it mm. was like uh i was it was just really weird and it was Ukraine was one of the countries I was traveling to abroad and it just, I wasn't even on my list at the beginning. So it was just, it was just really weird on how it all fixed and worked. And after the, after going abroad, my life changed forever. I like yeah. quit my job and decided to pick up a whole new career and decided to just move across the country. And it just, I don't know. It was like that confirmation that I needed from the universe telling me like, go up and do something. Did you ever tell that friend that it came true? No. Dude. Wow. No. I always see this in movies. I always see this in movies where somebody's like, he never spoke of it to anyone. I'm like, <laughs> I would have told four people before it was even over. But <laughs> no. no. Uh, all right. So we got the stupid Zoom thing. So let's log off and log right back in. Okay. Okay. Awesome. All right. Ready, set, go. Fuck you, Zoom. I ain't paying for nothing. All right, we're back. <laughs> Evan also has a prophecy. Evan, what do you got? Yeah, so when I was, I can't even remember when this happened, but I was much younger. Um, I had a dream that I was in a New York City, like, subway station. And uh, there was this little girl running barefoot in a nasty New York City subway station. And I like ran up to her. And I was like, Hey, well, you can't, you, you need to wear shoes. Like the ground is dirty, whatever. And I like knew that this was like my daughter in this dream. And I was like, like a teenager. Right. Um, and so I was just like, that dream like struck me really hard. And now I have a daughter who looks very similar to the little girl in that dream. Now uh, we have not been to New York yet, but that also sounds like something that she would do uh, and just like kick her shoes off and run around, you know? So 
All right. Well, if you ever take her to Radio City Music Hall or Broadway, you're, you're right. going to know to make sure you tie those knots extra tight. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah. All right. So next chapter, like I said, there's a lot of notes. I'm going to try to start jumping around a little bit. I was just telling Evan, I tried so hard to wheedle these down. I took them from like a, like a spark. I, yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. So the entry. All right. I'll, I'll get next, I'll tell it, but the next chapter, mm -hmm. read the full quote at the beginning. Do you have it in front of you? I do not have it in front of me. No. You got it? Okay. This is, the be this is the best part about the whole chapter is this first quote. It says, On the first day when Muhadib rode through the streets of Arakeen with his family, some of the people along the way recalled the legend and the prophecy. They ventured to shout, Mahdi! But their shout was more of a question than a statement. For as yet we could only hope he was the one foretold as the Lizan al-Gayib, the voice from the outer world. Their attention was focused, too, on the mother because they had heard that she was a Bene Gesserit and it was obvious to them that she was like the other Lizan al-Gayib from Manual of Muhadib by the Princess Irulan. Okay. So this goes back to what Evan was saying, how like, I want this scene. I want the scene of them going through the streets and Paul freaking out and everyone is like yelling because all of the people in the city know that there's this prophecy, this legend about... Mm -hmm a Bene Gesserit who would come and whose spawn would be their Messiah, their, their Mahdi, their savior. Yeah. And I want to know what's happening in a conversation, but instead, what do we get in this chapter? We get a side conversation. Right. Between Alan and Duke Leto. And I'm like, ah, this is the most important thing that happened is this, this, this thing is happening to Paul where everyone knows about him and he's having these weird dreams and he's mm. something's happening. But he's like, wait, what he's like in this pressure cooker and we don't get any of that instead we get the duke in a pressure cooker okay see this is man this is a little confusing to me i figured that would be a scene we would see later on in the book we never see that acted out never okay shit yeah that would be interesting to see because like a lot of people who uh really criticize the way the bible is put together everybody jokes like you know and i i'm not a believer i'm just a fan of religion in general but there's always the joke of like, you know, he's three years old. The next thing you know, he's 33. Like, that <laughs> right, kind of right, thing. right. But like, there is the notion almost like, yeah, I want to know the story of Jesus who doesn't know he's Jesus yet. And no, the shock know that. of figuring that out, you know? Yes. And that, yeah, Paul is going through that moment where he's, it's like that. He doesn't, what is happening in the in-between? And we don't get that. Instead, we get a conversation from Howitt and the Duke, where Howitt's accusing Jessica of being right. a traitor. Yeah, so here's what we have. Halad has intercepted a message that Lady Jessica is colluding with Baron Harkonnen. Um, yeah, L Leto straight up is like, that is not true, definitely not. But now that everybody, th they're, they're expecting us to react to this, so I'm gonna set my men to keep an eye on her and we're gonna, we're gonna make it look like it. And I think at some point, like, okay, are you going to tell, I think Paul even says, like, are you going to tell her? He's like, no, she needs to, she needs to think I am suspicious of her. And it's a whole bad idea. Bad idea. Yeah. Right. Uh, one of Especially if this woman is a, is a, is a trained assassin and Bene Gesserit and also the love of his life. Like <laughs> she's obviously the most important 
important person in the room and you're not going to tell her? Yeah, it's not the person that she's she's had a tough week. You know, the, the girls at the office, they didn't invite her to lunch. I just I don't want to get her all <laughs> all riled up. Exactly. Uh, Hawat's men tell Lido that the Freeman believe Paul could be the Messiah that has been promised, which states a leader will come child of a Bene Gesserit to treat that lead them to true freedom. Leto experience a sudden anger at the Harkonnens who threaten this place and his family. He vows to make a stand on Arrakis. He watches the landscapes and the dew gatherers in the morning light. The Duke acknowledges that the planet could become a good home for my son, or it could be a hideous place. Mm-hmm. Um, great saying here that I love for the next chapter, which is uh, basically consider the shocking moment when a child realizes his, fir- his father is a person with human flesh. Right. Maybe think, when did a, a beloved adult first really disappoint you? yes and you realize they're human too they also have no idea what's happening is that a direct question like are you asking for our moments that too mine mine was my stepdad showing up drunk to coach a softball game oh my gosh then again he was my stepdad so my opinion was not great to start with right i remember being like three like really really young and um I asked my dad to like, he would like pick me up and like do like bicep curls while like holding me. And he, he said something along the lines of like, Oh, I can't do it anymore. Dad's getting old. And I just like ran into my room and wept. (laughs) I remember that very distinctly. And then, you know, as a teenager, there were plenty of those moments where I realized my dad was a a human with a man with human flesh, but Mm. That, I, this I, isn't a therapy session, so I'm not really gonna, you know. How did you feel when that? No, no. <laughs> I just, I, I just love those Greek stories of just like even that little bit of like my dad's first sign of weakness, and just a little bit in the back of your head, like I should kill him and take over the house and marry my mother. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, I know, there's some mommy issues in in this book, so maybe I'm not straying too far from the path with that one. Um, right. Okay. We're not going to get into that. We're going to let you discover that on your own. All right. Uh, Duke has breakfast with Paul. Again, just like a small sci-fi thing. They have breakfast. That's nice. I imagine them with pancakes. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. They had, they eat. They just don't sleep in this book. Yes. It's see, every time we see somebody sleeping, they're like pretending. Right. Right. Um, so Duke, the Duke tells Paul about the Harkonnen message. And yeah, we pretty much went back and forth. Like, we're going to do this to smoke out the real traitor by making your mom feel really shitty and outed by us for a bit. And Paul's like, are you sure that's what you want to do? Are you sure? like, really? Don't do that. Trust me, son, they tried to take your life. Um, so the Duke discusses his plans for securing loyalty from the Freeman. He also hands Paul a report on Freeman religion. If anything happens to the Duke, he must, uh, he advises Paul to manipulate the Freeman belief that he's space jesus and uh also be sure to tell your mom i'm sorry i was a dickhead and yeah i never good backup that. plan yeah <laughs> well there is one point because i think okay at this point in time they arrive at arrakis and then the duke doesn't sleep for like 52 hours yeah, at this right. point and there's some point in this chapter that paul's like maybe you should take a nap <laughs> like your decision making it, it could be better so you just sleep this one off yeah but no he doesn't 
Yeah, like that. Chill. Get 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 some shut eye. Go for a walk. Like no, I am red eyed and bleary and thinking of how I'm gonna kill worms. I can. You can sleep when you're dead. It's, it's like, oh no, yeah. please don't do that, Dad. Which will be <laughs> soon. Uh, <laughs> all right. Next one. Princess Irulan's text in my father's house relates Irulan's realization that his father, Padishas Emperor Shaddam IV, greatly admired the Duke despite the political necessities that made them enemies. The two men even resembled each other physically, and the princess deduces that the emperor wished Duke had been his son. In fact, her father wishes she were much older so that she could have married the Duke. Which is also important, because that's the only reason uh, Lady Jessica has remained a concubine, so that they can still be dangled an alliance of marriage with the Duke. Right. Right. I mean, uh, an old Duke marrying a young princess didn't seem to be an issue at any other point in the history of royalty, but maybe they've evolved past that here on Arrakis. Yeah, yeah hopefully. Some of them have. Some. Some of them. Uh, so Kynes is shaken by the realization that he greatly likes the Duke and Paul. He even allows himself to consider that Paul is the Mahdi. However, Kynes has been tasked to betray them. His role is to ensure mm. that House Atreides obeys imperial law in their rule of Arrakis which uh, gave me the thought, I had a question. Have you guys ever had somebody you wanted to hate but couldn't? Yeah, Caleb. Yeah. Look at him, he just looks like he sucks, but he's actually super cool. I'm just kidding. That is an untrustworthy OT, I'll give you that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he's got that that, that villainous mustache I got going on. Iron ladies, the railroad tracks and whatnot. (laughs) (laughs) Mwahaha. No, I remember. I, there is it, that. Po- go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was. This is totally off topic, but like, yeah, that that when I first read that, like, oh, he wants to hate him, but he can't. It really reminds me of like a a girlfriend, an ex girlfriend's boyfriend in high school that like I really wanted to get back with her, but she was just like, it's always bad when you're like when you're when your ex is dating a scumbag. That's great, but when she's dating like a solid dude, just like, man, fuck you, being happy and <laughs> getting better taste than me. <laughs> you're supposed to do worse than me not better than me that's right you're supposed, you're supposed to go wow i guess jesse wasn't so bad after all but... <laughs> okay. um... there, there is that point in this in this chapter where kind's like yeah he's supposed to betray them he's got the imperial order pretty much to make sure they and in this chapter too they even go to a place where i'm sure kind's knows there's going to be a sandworm there Right. Mm-hmm. He he probably set the whole thing up, and then the Duke continues to be who the Duke is. He's just loyal to people, and he wants to make sure everyone's doing the best they can, and he cares about people more than anything else. Right. And that's where Kind is like, wait a minute. I don't want to kill you, but... Right. Because yeah. the one thing uh, the Duke Leto has going for him is his, like righteousness Mm -hmm. his like sense of honor and and like morality or whatever um but he still is thinking the wrong way like even with all of his righteousness and his sincerity and like goodness he still has that stranger thinking that they talk about in the book when it comes to like living life on arrakis but it's that um that righteousness that kinds sees and is like oh wait I'm not betraying him. He's good. Like he's a good dude. Right. 
like almost like if they could work in tandem, you know, if they didn't have, you know, different masters to uh, satisfy that they could have probably worked things out, but Kynes is just kind of, but he seems to like them quite a bit. They're all going to go out and uh, take a look at one of the fields together. Kynes is, you know, impressed by the nobles when he views the command and assurance young Paul has. Um, He even is a little taken aback when he sees how well Paul takes to the Jubba cloak and still suit due to the prophecy of the Mahdi. He will know your ways as though born to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul also quotes a phrase from the Orange Catholic Bible that the gift is the blessing of the giver, which surprised the Freeman escort and kind, as it is predicted, he will greet you with holy words and your gifts will be a blessing. Yeah. Um, so they're all going to view a space mining operation. Leto pilots the ornithopter. I've been looking up uh, stills from the new movie and like the ornithopter looks pretty cool. From what I'm seeing, they like, didn't they not only didn't use cgi they also didn't make a miniature and blew it up they just built a giant fucking ornithopter <laughs> yeah only thing it the only thing it didn't do was fly i mean you can't do everything but it's still <laughs> no. it's still pretty gnarly yeah and uh, yeah, it's they, like this dragonfly looking thing as it flies which exactly. i think would be sick uh they discuss the function and manufacture of the still suits which are designed that pretty much you can only you won't lose more than a thimble full of sweat Mm. of water in general of water in yeah. general yeah like god i would love to like try one of these on i mean because obviously you need to sweat something it just needs to come back to you in some way right i mean it would be super gross you just because you like do. the insides are right slick with your sweat and also your urine and, and your shit. like breath and like everything just like is in the suit so like yeah it'd be cool to try one on but I wouldn't want to wear it all day in the desert. <laughs> you know, it would get real nasty real quick. Mm-hmm. You're uh, really comfortable shitting yourself. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to being old and getting back into that again. <laughs> <laughs> just like, don't you ever just, don't you ever just see like a toddler walking around? Just things like living the life every day, just letting yeah. one rip. Um, <laughs> Kine, uh, Kine rejects a request of Leto's to open the abandoned Imperial bases to oust Atreides. Uh, he gets angry, stating Arrakis could be a paradise. Quote, if its rulers would look up from grubbing for spice. Larrett also refers to him. Leto also hears him refer to the ecology as my climate. Yeah. Mm. They approach a huge uh, crawler and Kynes warns to be on their guard as sandworms are drawn to spice and the shielding. We so uh so yeah there's there's some relation they can tell Paul thinks that Kynes is hiding something about the relationship between spice and the sandworms because they can tell Kynes is lying because that's what Paul does. Right. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh they discuss the worm sign, which is like pretty much literally the sign in the sand that the worm is about to show up. Gurney directs that the spice bone oh okay. Uh, Leto is the first one to spot it and they relate this information. There's actually a reward for whoever spots the sandworm and he orders that his bonus be split up amongst the workers to make their, you know, earn their respect. Yeah. Yeah, Good thing. You know, the boss wins the 50 50. You give it out to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So, sandworm is. Got. Oops. He's a good guy. Yeah. Oh, the I do. Yes. Yes, he is a good guy. Yeah. Big tipper, yeah. I'm sure. 30% and higher. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
so the sandworm fast approaches, but the savior ship does not appear. Leto prioritizes the safety of the people over the spice. They use the ornithopters to uh, help out, get all the workers away. Paul is amazed to watch the sandworms whirlpool of a mouth twice as large as the crawler ships themselves envelop the factory machine whole. He and the Duke are surprised to hear Kynes bless the maker as the sandworm devours the spice load. So how, how big are these things supposed to be? I'm trying to get an idea of the scoper scale. If we're talking like feet, how big is a sandworm? Um, Empire, Empire State Building. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That was, a, that was a little one too in this scene. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. Gnarly. Okay. Um, Leto is furious that the spice workers are vulnerable to such risks during their regular work. They see two small figures out of the sand that they can't save walking away. He's initially pissed off like, ah, oh, we lost two of them. But uh, Paul doubts this, and he becomes sure that Freeman are capable of surviving in the desert in a way not yet known and not, you know. So they're hiding something. And we can see it makes sense. They're the new people. They don't know how everything works. Why are you going to tell them all their secrets on the first day? Well, those, yeah, they're probably Fremen. So you can mm -hmm. <clears throat> walk on the sand and mostly probably at the Fremen had that what happened right there was supposed to kill everybody. Right. Yeah. But, you know, the dude, the Duke did his thing and saved everybody and threw the seats out in order to make sure everyone fit. And, you know, everybody climbs in and uh, the people that were working just look at Paul like, oh, this is that kid. This, mm -hmm. He's leaving. Something's happening. Oh, wait a sec. Did I catch it right? Like they were trying to like lure the Duke into like a dangerous scenario. Is that what you're saying? Uh, <clears throat> I kind of think, yeah, that was yeah. the whole, that was the okay. trap that, because Kynes has been told to kill them, but he likes them. Mm -hmm. So he set the trap up, but the, the person who's walking into it always needs an escape. That's okay. Uh, okay. That's that, one, of, I, one of Frank's things. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's the honorable way to kill somebody. That's uh Matter of fact, we would see that taken to extremes in the Saul movies. Right. Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Leto, you can save these people from the sandworms if you can just get the key inside your butt right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Sorry, that's that's Eli Roth's Dune. My bad. Um, <laughs> that would be that would be a messed up movie. Oh my god. <laughs> Okay, uh, so despite all these massive Thanks. amounts of notes, this is the last chapter we're covering. Woo! Uh, Woo! The lead-in, an individual can experience greatness if they have an imagination that partakes in myth-making, can reflect the ideas that other people project onto them, and have a sense of the sardonic to disconnect themselves from the myth. That statement alone is some fucking 4D chess. And I yes. love it. Yes. Yeah. These, these quotes at the beginning are fire. Right. And I mean, mark that quote and come back to it after you've read the whole book because that just threw me for a loop. Now that I've like, <laughs> actually you've read the whole the book, thing. Yeah. Okay. It's like every little piece of that is like foreshadowing, See, which seems enough, crazy, but weirdly enough, yeah. uh, I just listened to a podcast on him, even though I know a bunch on him anyway. This, this makes me think of David Bowie. This Ooh. quote. Hmm. Because they're talking about somebody who was just like, uh, ha had a complete awareness. He, it wasn't enough just to be an artist. He had to be aware of what the people wanted, how he would slot himself into that and kind of capitalize off of it. He right. hasn't quite entered the legend of myth yet, yet, but uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. There's something to be said. Somebody who knows the entire, not only how to be a leader, but to understand like all the paradigms in which they'd be viewed, even by their enemies, even by future generations. And the only way they can really survive is knowing that like, to be able to make fun of themselves. Yes. Right. <laughs> to know it's not, they're not, they don't, they don't take the whole thing seriously. No, you have to, you have to have like a healthy, to really play the game, you have to have like the healthy detachment from it. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I mean, we, we, uh, if you guys watched uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, that's like what happens to Freddie. He just starts believing his own bullshit. Mm-hmm. And to the point where he's like, I am queen. I am the greatest. Let's just <laughs> do drugs and be crazy people. And then he like finds himself in the worst spot of his life yeah. because he took that image that he created, that myth that he created too seriously and like became that. Mm-hmm. But you just can't be that, you know, like God, uh, take a different angle of that. Uh, keeping it within music. Think of all like the black metal lunatics in the early nineties that were oh, like, yeah. burning down churches and killing each other. I, I love the theory I heard from that. It, it, the, the theory some people had, if you're not aware in the early nineties, this is for the listeners, there was a group called uh, a genre of black metal that arose in Scandinavia. And these kids like took metal seriously, literally worshiped the devil, murdered people, burnt down churches. I have read theories that this actually is a cultural thing and saying that Scandinavians do not understand over-the-top irony. Like they saw shit, they saw shit like Kiss and Venom, and they like just took it seriously. And they never had any of the like, no, guys, we're we're having fun. We're we're th- this is make-believe playtime. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, the Christians raped a Viking heritage, so I, I must stab my bassist. Like, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, there's cool. the band, uh, the band Mayhem, I think was their names. Mm-hmm. They just literally wrote songs about killing people and each other and themselves. And like every member of that band has like killed another member or killed themselves or like one of their album covers was like the scene of one of their like suicides. It's got the, the, really the, crazy. The, the lead singer shot him, killed himself with a shotgun so the guitarist uh, took a bunch of Polaroids and that was the cover of one of their albums. Right, yeah. God, if only... Yeah. By the way, the music was terrible. If you, <laughs> it's funny, if you watch the movie Lords of Chaos, that is all about that. They, oh, okay. Yeah, they, they showed the one guy, like he's getting, he's, his power's getting greater in the scene. He's hooking up with all these chicks. And even in the movie, like none of these guys were getting laid at any point ever. <laughs> None, but sorry. Uh, what are we talking about here? Dune. Um, <laughs> so it's it's same, same, but different. Yeah, it's mostly the same. Uh, Duke Leto is Euronymous. <laughs> Paul is Vargas. Uh, okay, so the dining hall has been dressed grandly for a formal dinner. Leto observes the arrangements, taking notes of the exorbitant flagon of water at each table setting. It was the previous Harkonnen custom that guests would arrive to a dinner, slop the water on the floor while washing their hands, then dry, basically waste all the water. And then the beggars could like collect some of the squeezings from the towels. Leto rightfully finds this. Yeah, yeah, practice despair. And then they could feed their family off the money they get. I I, I do love the the one. Go ahead. 
Well, yeah, yeah. So the, the Duke, they have this, Harkonnens have this custom and he, and the Duke's going to say, this is awful. So he's going to stop it. But in stopping it, there's a whole underclass of people that survived off this custom because mm-hmm. they would take the water and then they would sell it and then they would feed their family with the money they make. And now this whole group of people just got ostracized because the Duke wants to do something righteous. Yeah, he's basically talking to a servant woman who's describing all this. And when he does this, she's kind of like, like, oh, how how nice of you. Like, clearly right. she's been like, th- this has been like a job perk for right. 40 years for her. And now it's like, what do you mean I can't take the leftovers home at night? Right. <laughs> but that's that's like how Duke Leto does things. He's like eliminating all possibility of scumbaggery in his operation right because right. that's just like the way that he is right well also if, if, if you want to change something negative in like a company or even like a, a culture it has to be top down at least in this right. regard yeah so in the hall lady jessica is entertaining guests who've arrived for dinner paul kinds and idaho are among them uh many of the planet's prosperous upper class are there and lady is lady jessica has also invited a smuggler as he approaches the hall, Leto sees that Jessica has worn stunning clothing in his favorite colors, which he knows is a subtle reproach for his recent cold manner toward her. I feel like we don't mm-hmm. get to actually see any of their interaction of him being like, you know, eh, whatever, I'm going to go watch the game, leave me alone. But we do see that she's like trying to like, wearing your favorite thing, hi, you know? <laughs> yeah, and it's also, she's also pissed at him at the same time. It's also like, oh, I'm going to wear this nice thing and you're still not going to get any. Yeah, because this is what you're missing out on, Leto. <laughs> uh huh. And you got to come back and be nice to me. We could have left and not done this trap, but here we are. Uh, if only, if only this was earlier in their not marriage, in their courtship, he could just lean in, like, listen, you're super hot, but like they need to think I'm mad at you. But like, seriously, you're <laughs> right, right. You know, your ass drives me crazy in that dress. Okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go fuck with yeah. the banker. Bye. Uh, <laughs> It's like, yeah, I really want to make a baby right now. Let's do it right now, but we got to leave. <laughs> yeah. Leto's in a bad mood from all of this. Also reminded again that somebody might kill him. Uh, Paul's in a bad mood as well. Joining the guests, Leto confirms that he will be experimenting with weather controls to see if they can induce climate change. A water shipper named Boot, or Butte, what a dickhead, uh, challenges the Duke's many changes on the planet, eventually daring to ask Leto if he continues to plan flaunting the conservatory's plant life. Lady Jessica mm. says, you know, gives the diplomatic answer that we're holding on to the, basically they have like a greenhouse, which is like the only thing that grows on the planet. And she's like, we're saving this for, we're going to need this if we can terraform the planet. Like we're not holding on to this for ourselves. We're holding this in trust for the people of Arrakis. Right. So. Which Kynes really likes. Of course, Dr. Kynes is just being wooed by the whole family. He's just, you know, he wants to go on vacation with them, see if Jessica has a sister or something. But uh, Dr. Kynes is surprised that Jessica shares his dream of a more Eden-like Arrakis. He asks her, do you bring the shortening of the way? This phrase startles mm-hmm. her. Yeah. As she knows. Now, does that directly translate to Kwisatz Haderach or does it just imply them i think it directly translates okay so he's pretty much straight of like by the way did you bring the messiah wink wink and so there's i i I think there's a there's a mistranslation like the the shortening of the way would be the mahdi in kind's mind but lady jessica's thinking bene Gesserit 
like eugenics over the last thousand years to make this mm-hmm. person to control everybody and she's like wait what and so these lines are crossing gotcha okay uh she's unable to answer due to an interruption from boot butte who insults kinds as living like uncivilized mobs of freemen jessica wonders if the bene Gesserit ordered order planted the quasit's hatterach prophecy on arrakis which encourages her secret hope that paul might be the messianic figure that's right. a great idea that like, you know, by the way, we're going to make up this prophecy. Let's go tell these people so we can, uh, you know, let them know it's coming. That's the, I that's mean, the th- thing you have to remember is like, even kinds or like, just take the Fremen in general, mm-hmm. their religion is like mostly based on something that was planted by a B'nai Jesuit at some point mm-hmm. in history. So like the B'nai Jesuit, aren't thinking about like the Fremen religion. They're thinking about all of the big picture archetype religion uh, theories or, or just like it's a whole other level because like they are working on like implanting all this stuff all over the universe. Like let's make sure these people know these prophecies and these things so that if a B'nai Gesserit ends up there, they can like, know that already and like play to that and that kind of stuff so like mm. he's talking about their fremen religion she's thinking of like all of how it happened how i got there what she can do with it all of that all at the same time okay guys i know you can't see the video podcast but numerous times we're all gesturing big like whole world in his hands because there's a lot going on here but oh, it's yeah. happened enough times that i really needed to point it out <laughs> okay we got eight minutes here let's see if i can cram through this as the group moves through the dining hall, Leto questions Jarek. Uh, all right, they invite a smuggler named Tuek. His presence at the di- dinner will give their enemies pause for thought. Are we going to see a lot more of Tuek? I don't know. I'm Let's not going to tell you. Okay, okay, okay. I so- just just know that I love Tuek. Tuek is like one of my <laughs> favorites. Uh, she also thinks to herself that the Duke does not realize the potential of the smugglers and that their underground connections and fast ships, they can be bribed if the Atreides family need a fast getaway from Arrakis. Before starting dinner, the Duke gives an unusual toast, including the loud claim, here I am and here I remain. He orders Gurney Halleck to play guess a tune on his set. I'm going to put uh, music to some of those lyrics that are in the book that'll be in the intro of this episode. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, they so this actually throws me off a little bit. He throws away the old custom with the whole sopping of the water, but I can't tell. Is he starting a new one here where they take a toast and then dump it on the floor, or is that like a different tradition? I, I'm not aware of. I just think he's going crazy, he's just mm. slowly losing it, and all of this politics is too much for him right now. Yeah, go ahead, Evan. Yeah, the thing is, he uh. Leto is like so sick of the political system mm-hmm. that um, he's like tr- doing everything he can to undermine it and like take it down while following all the rules, you know? Okay. And so I think that gesture was sort of him being like, this is the way you guys are used to doing things. Suck it. Like, I don't care. I don't care about you or your little system. Like, it's all going to come crumbling down. Okay. Uh, we get the nice little detail that Kynes uh, surreptitiously pours it into like 
a thing in his coat so he does not waste any water. I like Yeah, and then everyone sees him, he just like winks at him like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not wasting water. I'm not dumb. Yeah. (laughs) Um, A guild representative is speaking and Jessica realizes that he has speech patterns from Gady Prime and must be a Harkonnen agent. She manipulates the conversation around him to personal benefit, but is stopped short by Paul and is embarrassed when the boy outwits him. Kynes and Tuek enjoy Paul's show of strategy. Fuck, I wish I had the book on me. What is like, what's the insult he makes to uh, the guy, the guildsman, the banker? He says something that like really puts him in his fucking place. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, let me find it. Oh, it was something uh, like, uh, fuck. Wait. No, conservatory continue going yeah it's like some- the other thing about this book is like it doesn't have chapter numbers yeah so you can't just like look up the page <laughs> you have to like go find it here you, you know what we're gonna do this way i'm not rushing obviously we're gonna be done in the next 10 minutes let's log out and log back in i will use this opportunity to go grab my book and then we're not rushing all right so yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're so close to the end that it doesn't make difference if it lasts five more minutes than it was going to Right. No, for sure. sounds good. Just more editing for me. So, yeah. all right, I'll see you guys in a minute. See. Ya. Okay, so we found the thing in question. So, uh, yeah, the banker is giving him shit, and he's he's kind of like big boy in him. Like, you know, well, what are you gonna do? You're just a dumb kid. And Paul glanced at him, and says, "Once on Caladan." I saw the body of a drowned fisherman recovered. And he actually needs to explain what drowning is because they don't have water. Right. It's like, it's like just eating gold. Like I ate too much gold and I died. Yeah, exactly. Um, the interesting thing about this man was the wounds on his shoulders made by another fisherman's boots. This fisherman was one of several in a boat, a craft for traveling on water that foundered, sank beneath the water. Another fisherman helping recover the body said he'd seen marks like this wound several times. This meant another drowning fisherman had tried to stand on this poor fellow's shoulders in an attempt to reach the surface, to reach air. When the banker asked, why is this interesting? He responds, because of an observation made by my father. He said, the drowning man who climbs on your shoulders to save himself is understandable, except when you see it happen in the drawing room. Just amount of time to be like, yeah, you piece of shit. And then adds... (laughs) And I should add, except when you see it at the dinner table. Ooh! So pretty much straight up, like, you're a chump. We rule, we rule this fucking planet now. <laughs> and you think you're going to get ahead by standing on my shoulders? Back up, son. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone, everyone goes crazy. And Paul's like, wait, I'm confused. Like, I got him. He's good. He's yeah. done. <laughs> There, there is a little, he doesn't, There, it's very tense for a minute. It does seem like he does not quite, like, yeah, he one-ups the guy, but he doesn't seem to realize that, like, uh, everybody else is like, this is more than a faux pas. People are waiting for this to be, like, you know, fucking lightsabers coming out. Right. <laughs> Getting heated. And in this time, you have Kynes and, and Tuick. We're both on Paul's side. So Paul's like, I, what are you going to do? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah. They're both just sitting back like that's so funny. <laughs> it, it it does help that, that Paul has that extra dimension of like awareness around him. So he does realize like, ah, oh, these guys, these guys fucking love me. Like <laughs> guys, watch me watch me dunk on this fucking moron. 
<laughs> he thinks he's so rich and he sent his daughter to seduce me but screw him yeah <laughs> show him what's up um, right oh oh i thought you were talking about um this other interaction between paul and the banker um that is, it's like a couple pages before we don't have to read it but okay he like also like takes a jab at the banker and uh the banker is like looks at the duke like are you just gonna let your kid talk to me like that and uh all the duke says is do not make the error of considering my son a child, child. and right. the the conversation just keeps going you know oh it's, it is frustrating because it's not even like the banker was just like a little snooty he's being outright disrespectful left and right right and as soon as he gets a little back he's like you know this is you know this is preposterous right classic boomer stuff you know exactly <laughs> okay boomer climb on someone's shoulders uh, okay when the guildman insults kinds again the planetologist threatens the harkonnen agent and jessica realized the guild banker is terrified of kinds so that, that, that's the little the little detail here is we're realizing that based on what jessica is seeing because it seems like this banker guy is like too big for his britches where it seems also like he's kind of terrified of all these people and this is just like the the only thing he can do is just be like a little catty bitch about it. Like yeah, right. the only power he, left in this scenario. Yes. And, Basically. and and all his people just left. Yeah. So now the only thing he can do is just little jabs. Right. He has no power anymore. Right. And, and like depending on the the uh, expected sense of decorum that would exist at a dinner party like this but the atreides are like no dude you're not going to be a dick at my table and i'm just going to like laugh it off and pretend you didn't just say that yeah. that's not how we do things right uh lady jessica once more turns to dr kynes to pick up the conversation about terraforming duke leto realizes that this dream is the reason the pl imperial planetologist has softened towards house atreides over the course of the day leto questions the prospects of climate change on arrakis pressing kynes who accidentally reveals enough for Jessica to realize that there's enough water on Arrakis to one day change it to a more human-friendly ecosystem. Paul hears the same message by using his power of truth sense. Mm. So there's some there's stuff going on under the surface. Like maybe this place is already you know capable of being uh, you know changed. Although you have to imagine with the spice production, I mean, climate might have something to do with that. There might not be a benefit to at least as when it comes to the main money-making thing, like, you know, what if uh, you could make the Middle East like really, really pretty and get rid of all the, you know, let's stone women, but then there's no more oil, you know? It's a good point. It's a Whatever good point. would we do? I don't know. I mean, electric cars are one thing, but my, my wife's getting a little lippy. She needs to know there's something worse out there. Gosh. I feel bad. <laughs> you should. <laughs> um, a messenger arrives with a communication for the Duke, and he leaves the dinner abruptly, leaving Paul to take his place as the host. He once more outwits the guild banker after the man insults Paul's youth. Tuek finds this hilarious. <laughs> which I, I find like they're, they're waiting for violence to bust out, and Tuek is just like, <laughs> like. He cannot restrain himself. Tuek likes this Paul kid. I mean, I, if there's anybody at a party, I want Tuek at a party. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. Tuek is there to, to get turned. Um. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, Royal House Party. Let's go. <laughs> Phi Kappa Atreides. Um, right. <laughs> Jessica and Paul ready themselves for violence. Kind signals Tuek to step in, and the smuggler diffuses the tension with a loud toast. Jessica realizes even more Kind's influence as the leader on Arrakis and wonders why he has chosen to stand with Paul. But she's confused when Kind's once again lies about Freeman practices. She and Paul keep sensing falsehoods when he assures the group that rumors of free men using soaks and sip wells to cross the desert's planets are untrue. Jessica receives a message from Duke Leto informing her that the matter that called him away suddenly has now been resolved. A shipment of Harkonnen las guns Lays guns, las guns. Lays guns is what we've been saying. Lays guns. Should have used a Z instead pew of a pew. S, is my opinion. The, the, the pew pew machines have been discovered by his men. Jessica is filled with worry about the implications of this event. Las guns are violent weapons, and it is plausible that other shipments have been smuggled past the Duke's men. So again, this is the most fucking... Uh, we, we, had a, uh, we saw an action scene of a sandworm gobbling up a, a, a skyscraper sized sandworm gobbling shit up and yet the most tense drama was fucking pithy Paul just talking shit on a fucking banker <laughs> yep Every, everyone's waiting for the knives to come out but no doesn't happen just tension in the air but you, you can feel it at this point now you can feel something building where right. the tension's I... gonna have to break soon so on, on this show and everything I do, we always have a dumb thing called Jesse's Guessies, which are never right. But uh, Jesse's Guessie is like, th- this Duke is dying in like the next 50 pages. Like I'm waiting for, if he made the end of this book, I think I wouldn't like the book. I mean, the first step in an invading a trap is knowing which hand holds the knife or something like that. Mm, okay, okay. So he's going to see a Chris knife and then he's got a. You have to know where the trap's coming from. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, It it wasn't in my notes because I didn't write the notes myself. I need to get better at that. But uh, it is hinted that the banker's daughter has been very specifically put there to like lure Paul in. It seems like every woman they put Paul near, he's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. But. Well, that's because he's having dreams of another woman. Mm. We can all relate like, to that. No, yeah, he's dreaming about something else. Like she, and this woman keeps popping up. So of course, and he knows exactly the purpose that right. she was brought to this party. Like I'm not gonna fall for that trap. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like, remember there was there was also the great detail that uh, her father is a maker of still suits, but it, his particular brand is so shabby that like if you love your life, you would never purchase one of those suits. Right. <laughs> it's nice yeah, it's like. It's like Payless brand still suit. Like, why would you do that? They're gonna it's gonna run out in a year. Great value still suits. Bogo. <laughs> Buy one, get one still suits. And that's why the Fremen had to give them still suits. Because it's like, oh, if the Fremen use this, they must be worth something. Right. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, so this is but, a... yes, yeah, so, so far, so far into Dune. What do you think so far? Are you like in it? Are you there? Are you the, what I... do you like? What do you don't like? I'm fully ready for some stuff to happen. I, I feel like we've set up, set everything up a lot. Uh, it, while while I, mm, I don't know. I would have liked to have seen more of the worms, I guess. But it, eh, we don't we don't need that. Those are obviously 
when you have some big monster thing, that's obviously something that's going to have more play at the very end of it, especially like what's that thing they have where they do like chaotic, neutral, lawful good. Yeah. The alignments. Yeah. It it, it seems like the worms are definitely like, you know, chaotic neutral, like they're there to destroy, but they do not have any actual malice. Like somebody is going to use them at some point. Right. So yeah, I'm just, I, I feel like they've set it up enough. I'm ready for the story to keep going. I have a feeling like, exactly where we are in the book like we're right on the beat where the duke needs to die and paul is now in danger and has to find his own way i mean yeah i think i think you're you're on the money there something's got to happen soon yes yeah. we've set it up enough we've come to arrakis we know what's going on we know there's a trap mm-hmm. right and that's, uh we're waiting for it to be sprung right mm-hmm. that's the thing with dune is the setup there's so much to set up that the setup takes a really long time. Right. But when that action does start, you're going to be like, what just happened? And like flipping through the pages, <laughs> like, like a crazy person. Like it, it really does get very intense very quickly, but it takes a long time to like get to that point. Okay. That's a good. So you know what it is? I, I love uh, movies that do that. I just feel like something in books in particular I, I really think reading infinite jest kind of fucked me up just as a reader overall because i spent so much time looking at that book just like do something yeah do something yeah where when you read it for the second time like evan this he's now like reading it for the second time mm-hmm. you start to see how like literally not every word but every scene has purpose um, when you go back into it. So it feels like there's a long buildup, but in chapter one, we get so much, I'm not going to give away everything what happened, but like mm-hmm. every sentence has purpose and leads to something else. Like they're setting up all these things that they will pay off at the end. Okay. Right. Like so at the, in the, in the last chapters that, uh, uh, that we did, like the last chapters of the book, Caleb would be like, all right, that line that we just read, Evan, do you remember chapter two? When this person, I was like, what? No. And I had to like go back and read, like find the, the reference and stuff. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know, so, I, I know, yes. I know to definitely go back and look at uh, when I finished the book to go back to the myth making, which, yes, yeah, the, yes, the making setup. So, again, and- for those who don't recall, an individual can experience greatness if they have an amazing imagination that partakes in myth-making, can mm-hmm. reflect the ideas that other people project onto them, and have a sense of the sardonic to disconnect themselves from the myth. Yep. And that's why Timothy Chalamet will be the perfect Paul, because his hair is too perfect to be actually taken seriously. <laughs> Yo, I have loved that kid ever since he showed up in Lady Bird. He is such the perfect, like, full of himself shithead teenager even though i'm sure he's like pushing 30 now but uh <laughs> i'm looking forward to this it's it's gonna be great and to all your listeners when you watch the movie and you want to find out what happens next because they're only doing part one there's going to be a second mm-hmm. part maybe hopefully is, is this going, a- is this movie going to encompass all of this book because i know there's multiple books in the series i wouldn't say yes I've seen yeah. stuff from the trailer that will go through all through book one and then probably half of book two. Right. The, uh, the rumors like a little while ago when we were in the middle of the book with our podcast was like, Oh, it's going to be like half of the book. And then uh, they're going to make the part two, the, the other half, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But apparently says Caleb, it's going to be this whole book. Yeah. I think, 
It's going to be all of, because Dune is three books. It's Dune, Muhadib, and then The mm. Prophet. And so it's going to be all of Dune and then like half of Muhadib. Okay. And when you want to know what happens next, you can find us at the Reading Dune podcast and go chapter That's by right. chapter with us and right. go straight to where you left off. Uh-huh. Yeah. We'll oh, sure Caleb, we'll... you're talking about like the three books inside of this physical yes, book. Ins- inside of that like thousand page book you're currently holding. Yeah. It has three three different books in there. Yes. Kind of like uh-huh. Lord of the Rings Kinda does like, that. Like what? Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, yeah, guys. Check Jesse, out- this was a lot of fun. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I love, like I said, I love talking with people who know a lot more than me. And let's be honest, it's also fun to just use great literature as a jumping off point for dick jokes. Because why not? <laughs> Always. I mean, I'm pretty sure that is great literature as well. Yes. <laughs> It's like half of the Renaissance is just dick jokes. <laughs> Dude, I have a joke I tell on stage. It's just a pun, but people groan at it. And I only scream at it. Like, you know, people fucking worship Oscar Wilde for wordplay. And you're going to groan at me? Fuck you guys. You know? <laughs> Puns are great literature. So, uh, so yeah, yo, check out Reading Dune. Evan, Caleb, thank you so much for doing this. This is a great time. Yeah, thanks um, for having us. Gonna end this like I end every episode. I'm gonna stop recording, but you and I can still talk for a second or two. Later. <laughs>